My name is Dwight Rogers, and this is my wife, Joy. Uh, our scripture reading today is from John chapter 10, verses 10 through 18. Uh, let us stand for the reading of God's word. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep's pen and must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Those are the questions we're asking all summer. Who is Jesus? Do you really know him? And we're looking at the answers that Jesus himself gave these seven times in the Gospel of John when he would say, I am, making these claims about himself. Now, we're doing this this summer for a variety of reasons. One is we just want to hear what the Bible has to say. Uh, second, of course, we want to learn about Jesus. But one of the main reasons we're doing this is that the Bible lets us know that one of the main ways that our lives are actually changed, that your life becomes more of what God created you to be, is not the way the world usually tells you it happens. Usually it is, let's look inside of ourselves and figure out what we want to do and want to be, and we've got, got to make it happen. And the Bible says, no, the place where you start is actually you fix your eyes on Jesus. Give your life to him, follow him, and allow him to shape and change your life. And today, as we gather here and we fix our eyes on Jesus, we see him, or I guess really we hear him say, I am the good shepherd. Now, I have heard a lot of sermons about this text, John 10, 10 to 18, I am the good shepherd. And I've been thinking about those this week. And it seems to me that almost everyone I've ever heard has focused more on the sheep uh, than on the shepherd, even though it's all about the shepherd, really. Uh, and what it usually happens, think about it, those of you who've been to church maybe as much as I have, when you hear sermons about this, it always starts with how stupid and dumb sheep are. They're dumb, they're defenseless, at least from our human perspective, maybe not from the sheep's perspective. And I, I think it's sort of been passed on to the whole culture. What good are sheep? Well, there are only two things they might be good for. What is that? Producing wool and having an evening meal. We're going to eat one of those sheep and nothing else. And, and so the point, when I thought about those sermons, what's the point of that kind of a sermon? 
Well, we are like sheep too, the preacher preaches. So we are really dumb, and so we need Jesus. There's, there's the sermon. <laughs> and the, that last point is true. But we need Jesus, amen? <laughs> but I'll tell you, when I read the whole of the Bible, uh, it tells us that you and I are not altogether dumb and defenseless because it tells us that you and I are made in the image of God. And I've I got to tell you this too. A lot of recent studies being done by people in animal husbandry are pointing out that sheep may not be as dumb as we think they are. <laughs> Actually, there was a recent study that just came out last year that was, that's been done that shows that sheep have these re remarkable skills of recognition and even memory. They can see a human face, actually up to 50 human faces, and remember it over two years later. That's better than most of us do, don't you think? <laughs> so when, I, when I've uh, thought about this, uh, I think that we do need to come back to this and see that sheep... Well, yes, sheep are people who are prone to wander, get into trouble. They are people who are prone to, to be susceptible uh, to enemies. They need a shepherd, right? They need a good shepherd, and so do you, and so do I. So I've got to tell you something. Over this past year, I have been feeling this growing need for a good shepherd I'll tell you about it. I, I struggled with whether I should do this and just really feel that I should. I struggled with telling you this. But about a year ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. If any of you know about that kind of cancer, it's usually a very slow developing kind of cancer. And when it's diagnosed early, as mine was, usually what you, you go on is it's called active surveillance, which is just kind of a wait and see and, and watch it because often it doesn't grow at all. However, uh, we began seeing some indicators a few months ago that my cancer may actually be a bit more pervasive than we thought uh, it might have been. And over the past couple of weeks, if you've wondered where sometimes I, I wasn't here or had somebody else preach and so forth, I've been pulling away to have a number of medical tests taken to examine the situation. And indeed, uh, what we found out is that the cancer is something that I just shouldn't leave. I, I need treatment to get rid of it. Now, because I've had a lot of pre-existing ministry opportunities and responsibilities, and because this cancer really is a very slow developing one, I'm waiting to have that treatment until this coming September. But knowing Lake Avenue Church and knowing that so many of you are like me, that when you hear about things, you do research into it. Uh, I'm going to show you right now the kind of treatment that I'm, I'm going to be uh, receiving. It's called HIFU, HIFU, High Intensity focused ultrasound. It's not invasive. It has almost no side effects. It hasn't been done. It hasn't even been approved here in the U.S. for very long, but it's been done for many years in France and in Germany. So I went, on, I went online, and I began reading all the German articles. I, could, I couldn't read the French ones. I couldn't read the French ones. So I read the German to find out about this thing. It's just been approved by the FDA here, and up until recently, there was no insurance that covered it. But a part of, of what I'm going to be talking to you about today, the Good Shepherd orchestrating things, is the Monday before I got the diagnosis, I found out that my uh, insurance actually covers it. It would have been out of pocket and probably beyond a pastor's uh, income to be able to do it, but this is just one of those things that... So I... I've wanted to share this with you, even though I know that so many of you are going through much more difficult things. 
than this, but I, I want to do it because I really uh, cherish your prayers. Uh, I, I'll, I'll ask you to pray for healing, um, but also I've preached to you so often to see if I can live what I preach. You know, the Bible tells us that sometimes these trials come into our lives actually so that God would do his completing work in us. Do you know what I mean? So that, so that we will um, become more of what he would have us to be. There's a work God wants to do in me as your pastor through this. I know it, and I want him to do it. The other side is that when you have these unexpected things, it puts you into places you would never have chosen to be and actually brings you into relationships with people you would have never otherwise had a relationship to, right? And so it gives you this unbelievable opportunity to actually live the faith that we believe. And, and, and by God's grace, and I feel this so deeply, uh, to demonstrate the peace that you have no matter what happens in this world, the hope that you have in Christ. And I just would ask you to pray that I will be able to be that kind of witness to Jesus. I really am planning to talk about him wherever he sends me into those places and uh, shedding a little bit about the, the light of the Lord Jesus. So you've just got to know that as I uh, have been preparing this message today, it's been a very personal one for me. It's been a really a blessed one to even think about it. And one of the parts that has been most meaningful to me is this one little word, good, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So I want to chew on that for just a minute with you. Because look at verse 11, and you'll see that Jesus sort of starts it with that. I am the good shepherd. And if we can, in case we miss it, he immediately repeats it, the good shepherd. And then down in verse 14, he repeats it yet, yet again, the good shepherd. Um, it's a wonderful word. I mean, the language of the New Testament is Greek, and, and the word there is a, really a wonderful word because in English, we usually use the word good in many different ways. Um, we use it for um, something that's efficient. So we talk about a good car. We had the car show. So we talk about a good car, I mean, only if it runs, right? <laughs> Uh, teachers who are here. We talk about a good kid in our class. If that kid actually does what we tell him or her to do and gets it done, you know, sort of moral uprightness. So goodness can mean that. The word that Jesus uses here uh, for good doesn't have the main nuance being either efficiency or, or uprightness. The main thing that, that Jesus is getting across here is the idea of attractiveness, of something that's really beautiful, uh, it's, it's a word for a, a human being that you're really drawn to. Think of you, about whether you know anybody like this. Someone you just know is kind. Someone you know that is empathetic and can enter into your life. You just know for sure that that person would never do any harm to you. It's so different from what we often have even seen in our political arena and the highest arenas in Washington where colleagues rip one another and, and use awful language about one another. Jesus is not like that. <laughs> He's a good shepherd. He's the kind of shepherd that simple animals, like sheep, are really drawn toward uh, because they know he would do them no harm. So I've been chewing on this a while, and I think, I think that's why, that throughout the many centuries of the church all around the world, that young children, when they hear the stories of Jesus, are often drawn to Jesus, even though they may not understand these deep doctrines that we talk about, about the, the Trinity and about justification by faith and all these. They may not understand that as children, but they read about Jesus and they know there's something good about him and they want to know him. 
I've thought about the many people who've given me testimony about how you came to know Jesus as Savior and why, and the main step toward him. And so often it's not what what you often think about, that somebody really argued you into it. Though sometimes you come to faith in Jesus because of that, or even because of an ad campaign, you know, come to know Jesus. Though that can also be a way of people coming to know Jesus. But usually it's much more that we find out something about this goodness of Jesus. Often we see it through the life of another Christian. We see that and we say, there's something good there that I want to be a part of my own life. When you find out that it's Jesus that is beginning to bring that about, we're we're just drawn to him. I'll tell you, when, when I read about Jesus, I don't know how it affects you, but I always think I want to know him better. I want to become like him. And when a trial comes, what happens is I just simply say, I know you're good. I will trust you. So in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. Uh, Jesus really sort of points out for us ways that that can change our lives, can offer us hope when nobody else has it. So I jotted down the things that have been so encouraging to me, and I thought maybe they will be to you. So I put them in my own language. It may not be the way you'd say it. So you look at this and see how you might put that into your own words and see if it speaks to you as well. So here's the first thing I jotted down. So here it is. The good shepherd stays close to us. He guides us. He he protects us no matter what thieves or wolves might be out there. So as I looked at verse 12, he said, when a hired hand sees a wolf coming, the hired hand abandons the sheep and runs away. So you see it, Jesus puts himself in contrast as a shepherd to a hired hand who doesn't know the name of the sheep, doesn't really care about the sheep, is just doing the job right there. But, but the, the, the shepherd knows the sheep and, and he'll use this language, I know you, you are my sheep he'll say that and so in all of that you begin to see he sets himself into contrast to somebody who won't stay with you when the difficulty comes and and he posits two different kinds of enemies that that sheep will have to face Uh, verse 10 thieves and robbers verse 12 wolves now those two kinds of enemies I mean they have some things that are comparable but they're a little bit different Uh, a thief or a robber comes in and they're not going to do you any good. They're going to try to steal something from you that keeps you, that takes away something that is good. But sometimes a thief or a robber can come in and you don't even know they are there to do damage to you. They might even promise to you that they're there for some good, but really they're there to rip you off. And that can happen so many times in the rest of the Bible. You begin to find the kind of thieves They come into our lives that take us away from the best, from the good, and especially from the good shepherd, the one who gives us life. They promise so much, but can't deliver. Oh, you can think of a thousand things like that. I won't give you a thousand, but you know, drugs, uh, kind of relationship that might make you unfaithful to your spouse, thieves that seem to promise life, and yet take you away from the real life that God would have you to live and take you away from the good shepherd, thieves. That's one of the kind of enemies. The other one is wolf, and you know what that is. There's no subtlety there at all. That's just the person who is out to attack you. That's the person that you just feel like, and you might be able to put some names onto that, people at work or people at school, that you feel like, I don't know why, but why are they out to get me? You don't have to yell out any names today, but I bet you... (laughs) 
I bet you can think of a few. And and what Jesus says is is that sheep are vulnerable to both kinds of enemies, both thieves and wolves. And what they need is someone who is capable of dealing with those enemies and that when those enemies come, can, 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 can assure them that he will be there with them, never leaving them, even if that person's own life is put at risk. And, and to all that, Jesus says, I am. I am the good shepherd. Listen, verse 10, I have come to give you life, not to take it away. And so whatever comes to try to take away your life, I will not abandon you. And my brothers and sisters, I've got to tell you, in all these years of me walking with Jesus and and personally encountering many thieves and wolves and walking with so many of you when you have faced thieves and wolves, I have found him, when, when we're faithful to him and we wait and see, I have found him to be good to his word. I have experienced the presence of the good shepherd to carry me often through the storms and difficulties of this world, and that's why I just have such confidence that he will this time as well. Now, today when you come to church, you might say, well, that's all fine and good for you as a pastor because it seems like pastors, you guys have this special sort of relationship to the shepherd that that others don't. How, How can I think that that might be true for me? So I've thought about what brought you to church today. I really don't know. Uh, maybe you just come because you're always coming to church, and I'm glad that's a good habit to have. Uh, may, uh, maybe someone just forced you to come. I, I'm glad you came even for that, for that reason. Um, maybe you came, though, because there really is a difficulty that you're going through, and you've kind of assessed the difficulty that you're going through right now, and you've looked at your own strength, and you don't really want to go through that thing. You don't feel you're really up to that difficulty that is there. And sometimes you come into church saying, maybe this is real. Maybe God is there and he can take this thing away. Maybe that's the reason why you've come. You, like me, are facing a thief or a wolf in your life. And yet, you might say, as I'm getting up here and saying, Jesus is good and he will be with you. You might be thinking, Pastor, how can you say that sort of thing, that Jesus is good And at the same time, how can he let me go through this situation I'm going through right now where it just feels like there are thieves and wolves everywhere? Doesn't Jesus know what I'm going through right now? You might be thinking, doesn't he know my emotional makeup? Didn't he make me this way? Doesn't he know that when I go through stuff like I'm going through right now, that it plunges me right back into anxiety attacks or into depression? Doesn't God know this human flesh of mine and how weak it is that every time I get into this kind of a situation, I fail again and again and again, and yet he seems to put those people around me anyway? Doesn't he care when he knows I have a lot of stuff I want to do with my life and yet the doctor has just given me the diagnosis, you have cancer? Jesus counters all of those realities in this fallen world because it is that, isn't it? I mean, don't you know there are, every day of our lives, there are still thieves and wolves in this imperfect world. Jesus comes and he counters it with this very simple thing in verse 10. It's one of my favorites. He says, I come. I come not to take away your life. I come to give you life. 
And believe me, when I come, I'm not like a hired hand. I will not run away. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. He declares to you, whatever you are going through, you are not in this thing by yourself. He turns to us when we face trials and temptations and says, you don't have to fight this fight alone, for I come and I will not leave you. I tell you, I've held on to that promise again and again and again when in my life I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I just want to declare to you on the authority of God's word, my testimony to you is my experience, that Jesus is promising here to come against any kind of thief or wolf that comes against you. Whatever it might be that is trying to steal from you or that feels like it's trying to kill you, Jesus declares, I will not let anything in this world separate you from my love for you or take away anything that is of eternal consequence. Yes, the older we get, the more we know the temporary things we often lose, right? But they are just temporary. Nothing that really eternally matters will be taken away from us because Jesus says, I come to save you to protect you and to build upon what I have started in you when you give your life to me, for I am the good shepherd. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Well, that's the first thing I wrote down. I'll get calmed down here and now to the second thing. I jotted down this and really thought about sharing with you today and, and, and put this down. We often experience the good shepherd's presence and protection when we are a community, see what I've called you here, with other sheep-like family members. Who do you think I'm thinking about there? We experience his presence so often when we come into community with other sheep-like family members in the family of God. Look at verse 12. He talks about a wolf that attacks a flock and tries to scatter it. So, uh, who's the flock? So, so it sounds like when, when you and I enter into a relationship with God by faith, he brings us into to a flock. Who is your flock? It, this is not hard. God, God plans local flocks of people into communities like this so that that flock will be together and will stand together in the midst of whatever this world happens. I, the, the brothers and sisters, when I thought about, Lord, who is my flock? I thought about you. You really look better than sheep usually do, but I thought about you. And that's why I knew that today, even though I know that so many of you are going through much greater difficulties than I am, that I, I had to share this with you because we need to do life together. God brings us together and tells us we need to come together. And, he, and throughout the Bible, you see there are a number of reasons why we need to be together and stay together and not leave one another. One is, John chapter 13 we have a broken world out here, and how are they going to really believe that we are followers of Jesus? And you know what Jesus said? He said, this is how they know, is when you really love one another. So you've got to stay together in this relationship of love in this broken world uh, so that the world can believe. And in fact, in John chapter 17, he says, the world will only believe that the Father sent me if you love one another. So there's a lot at stake in terms of our witness to God in us actually sticking together and staying with one another. But here what Jesus is saying is, 
that our being together and, and being committed to one another as a church family is a big part of you experiencing and me experiencing the presence, the protection, the sufficiency of God in the midst of this very difficult world. Now, as you look around you, I, I know what you can often think, but pastor, this, look around. This is such an imperfect group of people, and that's really true, isn't it? <laughs> that's who we are. So sometimes you get upset with your church family because you come in and find all this imperfection that is there. I, I just want you to know, don't be surprised when you see the imperfection. Just don't be surprised. That's, that's who we are. We are still in this process of growing. But I'm going to tell you, if you go out from here and you try to find that perfect church out there somewhere, you're not going to find it there either. The moment you walk in, it's not going to be all that perfect anymore. I'll just, I'll just, I'm just telling you the way that it is. So here's the basic principle that is there. The greater the battle that you face, the more you need to be with the family in the sheep pen with them. The greater the attack, the more you should be in church. One of the illustrations uh, about this is in, that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 15 uh, and, and Matthew chapter 18. It's a parable that he tells of 100 sheep. And you know the story. One of them wanders away. And Jesus um, uh, says, good shepherd goes to be with that one. And we always say, yeah, that shows us how much Jesus loves the one sheep. And that's true. But the other side is, the business people, you think, that's this bad stewardship. There are 99 other sheep there, and they might be attacked by the wolf. And I've just got to tell you, sheep are not all that defenseless when they are together, especially when they have some of those rams there with them. It's when they get isolated from the sheep. And this is what the wolf, when it comes to your life, will try to do to you. He will try to separate you from your church family. So I was thinking about this, and I thought about all these over the years, National Geographic or uh, Discovery Channel uh, documentaries that, that show how wolves separate herds and then go on the attack. And I was going to show you one of them today so that you would never forget it. But I'm not showing it to you for two reasons. Number one, they were all really long, and I didn't think you'd stay that long. And number two, they are so gruesome that I, I thought, if, if we watch this thing, you're going to say, what on earth were you thinking, Pastor, to show something like that? But I did find, I did find this, um, a couple of aerial shots that I think can, can still help you to see this. So you see in this first picture, you see, and here we're not dealing with little sheep. You're dealing here with bison. And you see the wolves coming in, and those bison are just fine as long as they're standing there together. Look in the second picture at what the wolves try to do. They are trying to scatter them. They know that together they're not going to be able to do much. So I'll just show you the end. Push toward PG here. This guy gets destroyed. Let me tell you something. I, I've been a pastor a long time. And I've found that whenever difficulties come, those are the times when so often we get upset with our faith, with our church. Uh, we begin thinking, oh, I don't want to go to that church anymore. The preacher's boring. You know, music's not my favorite kind. Nobody cares about me or understands me. Let me just tell you something. Those are the wolves' tactics to try to separate you from, from the rest of the family. And you can just mark it down that what I've seen is that isolation from your church family is always that last step before spiritual destruction. Wolves' tricks 
try to put you into isolation and to ruin your life. So today, if you are smelling the scent of a wolf all around you, don't run away from your church. Run to your church. You shouldn't be in church less often, but more often. Come Saturday and both services Sunday morning. Just as much, though, I think what you need to do is to be sure to find a small group. Uh, it's just impossible. I have this privilege of sharing with you what I'm walking through. But here in the church, all of us need that opportunity to share our lives with one another. And if you haven't found a smaller group at the end of the service through that Connect banner, we'll have some folks there who'll try to help you to find a smaller group. We need one another because, as I wrote, we often experience the presence of the Good Shepherd and the protection of the Good Shepherd in community with the rest of these sheep-like members. Now, there's one more thing. I wasn't going to do this, but one more thing I have to show you to be even faithful to this text. So I wrote this down too. Uh, the good shepherd has the ability and actually already has defeated the worst thief and wolf that this world can throw at you. So that he says in verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I can't skip this because Jesus says this five times. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Lays down his life for the sheep. And when you read verses 11 through 18, you see why he's willing to do it. He's motivated by his love for his people. He knows us. Even before we know him, he loves us. And he came to die for us. I'll just walk you through it. Look at verse 18. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord because I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to pick it up. I hope that you see it that Jesus is saying to us that he didn't come into this world that he's somehow willing to die if he has to. Uh, military people like going into battle. And that's a good thing to do. He's saying he came into this world knowing that he would have to die for the people that he loves or that there would be no hope for us. Do you see that? Verses 14 and 15 really tell us what happens because of his death. He says because of his death, other sheep will be able, the sheep will be able to come into the sheep pen. It's so that he dies so that you and I can enter into a relationship with God and with one another. And in verse 16, do not miss this. He says, and, and he's talking here mostly with Jewish men, maybe only with Jewish men, I have other sheep that are not a part of this sheep pen. Who are they? I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and their will when I am done be one flock and one shepherd. I'm telling you, these are remarkable words. Do they make sense to you? Jesus, on the other side of the cross, before he died, laid down his life for his sheep. With these eyes could see those who would come to place their faith in him. And they would be more than just the sheep who were there because the people who were in God's flock before the death and then the Pentecost happened were, were people who were all blood-related to Abraham. But they were to be a blessing for all people. And Jesus could see this. There are other flock members of my flock that I've got to die for so, and then bring them in. Who is he talking about? Who? I started thinking about this in my own lifetime. Okay, so I was born in the early 50s. And uh, when I was born, there were almost no followers of Jesus in Korea. Have you been to Seoul, Korea in recent years? <laughs> I'm just telling you, you fly into Seoul, Korea. There are red crosses all over the place because people by the tens of thousands have come in to the sheep pen Amen. through faith in Jesus, other members of his flock. In my 10 years here, 
you've given me this incredible blessing of, of going several times to China. And I got to see that it's really happening. That people are coming by the hundreds of thousands to faith in Jesus in China, which was previously only known by communistic atheism or by some who were committed to Buddhism, now coming to Jesus, coming into the family of God. I'm seeing this happen, what Jesus is talking about. Right now, and you, can, you know my spiritual blood has been pumping for the last number of months as I look into the Middle East and I see places where we've tried to send missionaries, cannot get missionaries in, people who have never seen a real follower of Jesus and what Jesus can do in our lives. But now, because of hardships that they would have never chosen, have to come out as refugees coming in out by the millions and where we before could never get a witness about Jesus to them. Now we have the opportunity to talk freely and openly and people are coming by the thousands and thousands and thousands of, of, uh, to, in faith to Jesus into the flock of God. This is what Jesus saw and you're right as some of you said, he saw us. He saw us. And knowing that the only way for us to be in the family of God was for him to lay down his life. Out of love he did it. Now, just the last thing here. He, um, there are so many theologians now who don't like this idea that Jesus actually had to lay down his life for us. Why couldn't he have just um, said, no, just come on in. You know, these things that you weren't in the shoe, just come on in, that just, I don't have to die for you. Why, why couldn't he have just waived the entrance requirements? <laughs> why does he need this death? And some just hate that thought, that the father sent his son who died in our place. One theologian called it cosmic child abuse. This thing of God having his son die for us. Uh, so so the, sort of the tendency you will see, even in some of the current Christian books, is to think, well, the real reason why Jesus laid down his life for us was to show us how much he loved us or to be an example of love to us. And it surely is true, isn't it? I mean, when somebody dies for me, I mean, it shows me how much he loves me, and it's an example, that selfless giving is an example of love. But there had to be more to it than that. Now, I've used this illustration before, but it, it's such a good one. I can't, I can't. any of you who are, I'll, I'll, I'll pick on single women right now. Um, if you're single and you've been wondering if there'd ever be somebody you love and somebody's come into your life and you really love him, but you're not sure that he loves you, and you go to him and you say, you know, we've been going out for a while here, but I'm not really sure that you love me. Can you prove to me that you love me? And he says, I sure can. And he runs right out here to the Colorado Street Bridge, right here in Pasadena, and he jumps off of it. And as he's going down, do you see how much I love you? And, and do you say, wow, that's the kind of love I've been looking for. That, that's what I... That's what I want. That's love. No, what do you say? You say, what a nut. <laughs> what good does that do? You see, death for somebody only, only makes sense if that one that we love is in trouble, they're in danger, and our death rescues them, saves them from the danger. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying there are wolves out there in this world. There are. I know it. Ever since Genesis 3, there are wolves out here. And the worst wolf of all is that death comes to all of us. And when death comes to you and me on our own, on our own, without Jesus dying for us, we're not ready to meet God, and all of us will have to stand before God. And none of us has lived perfectly 
the way that God would have us to live. Can I have a witness in any, none of us have lived perfectly. And God's word says, listen, I know that to have a just world, that evil must be punished. And God says, I will do that because I am just. My wrath is poured out against all that is wrong in this world. But the problem is all of us have engaged in what is wrong. How is this going to happen that there's any hope for us? And that's where Jesus steps in and he says, I lay down my life for you. The only sinless one, the only one who lived the life that you and I were meant to live, but none of us has, was willing to die the death that you and I should have to die, but now we don't have to because he laid down his life for us. And all he asks us to do is to turn away from our sins, give them to him, confess them, and he will forgive us and to place our faith in Jesus. Have you done that? You can't read this text without seeing the love of Jesus for you. I don't want anybody to leave Lake Avenue Church without being sure that you have placed your faith in Jesus. Use your own words in praying. Say something as simple as, as much as I understand, here are some of the things that I have done wrong. Here's my sin. Will you really forgive me? And he says, I will. That's why I died in your place. And I give my life in faith. I will trust you. I want you to be my savior. I will follow you. Use your own words. Don't leave until you're sure of your relationship to him. And you will find him to be the good shepherd. Okay, I began my sermon today by telling you about a wolf that I'm battling. And I'm so sure that many of you too, maybe all of you, are experiencing some kind of thief or wolf in your life. And I've been saying that one of the things God gives us is one another uh, so that we can know his presence. And one of the things we need to learn to do is to pray for one another. So I've, I've decided to do this right in the context of our worship service. I wanna ask you to think about what is the worst thief or wolf that you are facing right now? It could be so many things. For me, it was a medical diagnosis that I never would have chosen. For some of you, it's job loss. I'll tell you, the scent of all those bills and bill collectors is just overwhelming you. For so many who go to church, I know this, it's that ongoing failure to temptation. You come to church and wonder, can things ever be different? It's so discouraging. For some of you, it's battles with anxiety or depression or broken relationships with your family or in your marriage. It could be so many things. What I want you to do now is just try to think about what is the greatest thief or wolf that I am facing right now. I, I want to ask some of our pastors and, and, and prayer counselors and, and ministry council folks to come to the very front. We'll have some up in the balcony too for all of you, look for them to, to come there. We can't take much time in our service to actually stop and pray for long, but here's what I want you to do. If you will just come out from wherever you are, I'll have a stand in a moment, just come out from wherever you are for a moment and just say to one of the, us here, uh, the wolf I'm facing is, you can say my marriage, it's my finances, it's, it's whatever, my sin. Just simply say that and we will have a very brief prayer for you that you might experience in a new way the presence of the Good Shepherd and the love and care of the Good Shepherd. So as we're having this wonderful song, let's stand together. How deep our Father's love for us, how kind beyond all measure. I hope that you'll take a moment 
to simply come out from wherever you are. Come forward and meet us here in the front. We will just take a moment to pray with you, and then I'll come up and end the service. Come, come, as the Lord leads you.